ending Nice and tidy It's a rule I learned in school Get your money Every Friday Happy endings are the rule So divide up those in darkness From the ones who walk in light Light them up, boys There's your picture Drop the shadows Out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, December the 23rd, 2008. <laughs> Gird your loins. Here it comes, day after tomorrow, Christmas, tiny Tim time. Oh, that's always such fun, you know. Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. Oh, her food, drink, wassail, mulled wine. And all our loving friends I ran into. An old friend on the way to the radio station today I was getting on the bus. And there was Dorothy Bryant, once of KPFA's cover to cover. Uh, one of Berkeley's writers and thinkers. We bemoaned. Having lived too long on into our seventies, I said, we're septuagenarians. Then we talked about a friend who is, uh, septipora. That's a woman with seven children. That's even better. Anyway, uh, we moaned about dysfunctional families everywhere. You know, the ones that drive us mad during the holiday season. My advice unasked for is when in doubt get out just get out of town whenever possible and if you can't do that get a bottle of irish mist and lock yourself down if you can't hide then just do what you can you know to escape abuse some of the better substances uh Anyway, this week, I tried to make lists of books and movies, something for Christmas comfort, uh, something to share and tell, as they used to say when I was a kid in school, yes, share and tell. Let's pretend that's what we did in kindergarten. They called it, let's pretend, stories, myths, metaphors. For years and years, my life has been nothing but the stories, um, Anything that isn't true, let's pretend everything's all right. Fantasy. That's the only reality I know. Last night, I was reading through, oh, let's see, Oscar Wilde's fairy tales. I brought one today. and I looked through the Oz books, you know, the Wizard of Oz series, and the old memory gems, not the new stuff. I looked at Heidi and the... Mary Poppins series. Uh, don't get it mixed up with the movie. It's an awfully good uh, set of books. I think there are five or six Mary Poppins books. Uh, and then I found again the original version of The Little Mermaid. Uh, the 
original Hans Christian Andersen. It's really a novella. It's a long, sad story. And I realized that all that Victorian lumber is just too heavy for today. Uh, too many words and also too masochistic, too Christian, too sorrowful for today's children. Uh, I think Beatrix Potter really still holds up. Uh, she has that uh, cryptic sense of humor, something the adults can enjoy as much as the children. My favorite Beatrix Potter story was always Jemima Puddle Duck, the one about the duck who was too nervous and erotic to raise her own uh, chicks, her own little ducks. <laughs> she kept getting into trouble with foxes and various overbearing um, sadistic males, and she had to be rescued by the local dogs, the collies. It's uh, almost as good as the other one, uh, uh, the one about two bad mice, about the two little mice who get into the dollhouse and wreck it. I think, if I remember correctly, that was my favorite as a child. It was kind of like... Uh, Maurice Sindak's modern book, Where the Wild Things Are, because the two bad mice, they expressed a children's rage, you know. Uh, they get into the dollhouse and they find that the food on the table is just plastic or um, plaster of Paris or something. It's not real food, and so they rip it up and uh, break and smash. But then, of course, they have to clean it up and they get some coins under the rug, that kind of thing. Uh, it's like uh, Maurice Sendak's story where, you know, you come home and everything's okay again and you get something to eat. I went to my other shelf to look at the books for the uh, adolescents. I, I am at a loss. I've got to do some more reading. I dug out Lord of the Flies... <laughs> And Catcher in the Rye still holds up. Um, there are dozens and dozens of new books that seem to me a little bland. They're almost all about dysfunctional families and alcoholism and, you know, how to get through your parents' divorce, that sort of thing. <laughs> anyway, most of the children I know do not consider books to be proper presents. What I try to do now is get the video and the book, you know, in a set. Give them both. That way they're uh, more likely to have one lead them into the other. I remember I never uh, read Heidi until I saw the movie with Shirley Temple. Rather dreadful movie, but uh, the story, once I got into the book, I just loved it when I was about nine Anyway, I made a stack of movies, and uh, <laughs> today's movies about Santa are so disgusting. I I don't even think they they count for Christmas movies. They're they're um, I don't know what to say. Uh, anal? I don't know. Uh, I like best the opening scenes in a movie by Angmar Bergman. Uh, Fanny and Alexander. It's a strange kind of sad movie in a way, but the opening scenes give you this Victorian uh, Christmas, but it's in Sweden. There's these Dickensian uh, 
rooms with um, oh more servants than than people you know and more servants than guests I mean and uh, enough food to feed an army and the children and the puppet shows and all that good stuff uh, the huge family with its uh, you know its sexual secrets and the resident alcoholic and all that stuff I love Bessie the grandmother there she waits till nobody's looking and then uh, she and the uh, Jewish family solicitor have a moment of intimacy. Yes, that, <laughs> that, that rings true. She just spends the whole evening getting uh, drunk and drunker. After Fanny and Alexander, I usually watch um, James Joyce The Dead. It's a beautiful film uh, with Angelica Houston playing the lead. It's all about the loss the loss of love. Angelica Houston goes to a lovely family dinner with the two maiden aunts. And once again, you get the whole scene at Christmas. All the little um, bits and pieces of angst and all the family dreads. And uh, it was, what, a pinch of politics, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But then Angelica Houston goes to stay at a hotel with her husband and talks about a boy who died when she was young and it has all these echoes uh what we used to call all our dead dears come back all these shadows come back during the uh, holiday season and uh i am the what is it the one who gets maudlin these days i used to find it disgusting my parents would become uh perfectly dreadful in their cups and uh, weep and wail. Uh, I thought today I would try to read um, Oscar Wilde's The Happy Prince, but I read over it last night and find that I too have become, uh, what is that, maudlin in my old age. Uh, uh, Studs Terkel tells such funny stories about uh, old folks. I tried to find one of his bits. Um, I went through his book, Working, and I couldn't find one that was specifically about Christmas. I think what I'll do is I'll compromise. And I will go to Oscar Wilde because he's one of my favorite Victorians. But instead of the happy prince, let's just read something. Uh, it's called The Nightingale and the Rose. And it's, it's a little bit more satiric. It's a little, it's got an edge to it, you know. The happy prince is the one about the statue, of course, that gives every last flick of his gold and jewels for the poor and then he winds up in a um, scrap heap and uh, uh, he melts except his heart doesn't melt it's still there in the, in the pile of stuff you know Oscar Wilde <laughs> was over the top when it came to maudlin uh, romantic stuff anyway The Nightingale and the Rose is a little tougher it goes like this the young student cried. She said that she would dance with me if I brought her red roses. But in all my garden there is no red rose. From her nest in the holm oak tree, the nightingale heard him and she looked out through the leaves and wondered. No red rose in all my garden, he cried, and his beautiful eyes filled with tears. 
Ah, on what little things does happiness depend? I have read all that the wise men have written, and all the secrets of philosophy are mine. Yet, for want of a red rose, is my life made wretched. Ah, said the nightingale, here at last is a true lover. Night after night have I sung of him, though I knew him not. Night after night have I told his story to the stars, and now I see him. His hair is dark as the hyacinth blossom. His lips are red as the rose of his desire. Passion has made his face like pale ivory, and sorrow has set her seal upon his brow. The young student murmured, The prince gives a ball tomorrow night. My love will be of the company. If I bring her a red rose, she will dance with me till dawn. If I bring her a red rose, I shall hold her in my arms. She will lean her head upon my shoulder, and her hand will be clasped in mine. But there is no red rose in my garden, so I shall sit lonely. She will pass me by. She will have no heed of me. My heart will break. Ah, said the nightingale, here indeed is the true lover. What I sing of, he suffers. What is joy to me, to him is pain. Surely love is a wonderful thing. It is more precious than emeralds and dearer than fine opals. Pearls and pomegranates cannot buy it, nor is it set forth in the marketplace. It may not be purchased of the merchants, nor can it be weighed out in the balance for gold. The musicians will sit in their galleries, said the young student, and play upon their stringed instruments. My love will dance to the sound of the harp and violin. She will dance so lightly that her feet will not touch the floor. The courtiers in their gay dresses will throng around her. But with me she will not dance, for I have no red rose to give her. And he flung himself down on the grass, buried his face in his hands, and wept. Why is he weeping? asked a little green lizard as he ran past. Why indeed, said a butterfly, fluttering about a sunbeam. Why indeed, whispered a daisy to his neighbor. He is weeping for a red rose, said the nightingale. For a red rose, they cried, how very ridiculous. <laughs> the lizard, who was something of a cynic, laughed outright. But the nightingale understood the secret of the student's sorrow. She sat silent in the oak tree and thought about the mystery of love. Suddenly she spread her brown wings for flight, soared into the air. She passed through the grove like a shadow, and like a shadow she sailed across the garden. In the center of the grass plot was standing a beautiful rose tree. When she saw it, she flew over it and lit upon a spray. Give me a red rose, she cried, and I will sing you my sweetest song. 
But the tree shook its head. My roses are white, it answered. As white as the foam of the sea, and whiter than the snow upon the mountains. But go to my brother, who grows round the old sundial. Perhaps he will give you what you want. So the nightingale flew over to the rose tree that was growing round the old sundial. Give me a red rose, she cried, and I will sing you my sweetest song. But the tree shook its head. My roses are yellow, it answered, as yellow as the hair of the mermaiden who sits upon an amber throne, yellower than the daffodil that blooms in the meadow before the mower comes with his scythe. Go to my brother who grows beneath the student's window. Perhaps he will give you what you want. So the nightingale flew over to the rose tree that was growing beneath the student's window. Give me a red rose, she cried, and I will sing you my sweetest song. But the tree shook its head. My roses are red, it answered, as red as the feet of the dove and redder than the great fans of coral that wave and wave in the ocean cavern. But winter has chilled my veins. Frost has nipped my buds. The storm has broken my branches, and I shall have no roses at all this year. One red rose is all I want, cried the nightingale. Only one red Rose, is there no way by which I can get it? There is a way, answered the tree, but it is so terrible I dare not tell it you. Tell it to me, said the nightingale, I am not afraid. If you want a red rose, said the tree, you must build it out of music by moonlight and stain it with your own heart's blood. You must sing to me with your breast against a thorn. All night long you must sing to me, and the thorn must pierce your heart, and your life blood must flow into my veins and become mine. Death is a great price to pay for a red rose, cried Nightingale, and life is very dear to all. It is pleasant to sit in the green wood. Watch the sun in his chariot of gold, and the moon in her chariot of pearl. Sweet is the scent of the hawthorn. Sweet are the bluebells that hide in the valley, and the heather that blows on the hill. Yet love is better than life. And what is the heart of a bird compared to the heart of a man? So she spread her brown wings for flight. And soared into the air. She swept over the garden like a shadow, and like a shadow, she sailed through the grove. The young student was still lying on the grass where she had left him. Tears were not yet dry in his beautiful eyes. Be happy, cried the nightingale. Be happy. You shall have your red rose. I will build it out of music by moonlight, and stain it with my own heart's blood. All that I ask of you in return. Is that you will be a true lover. Love is wiser than philosophy, and、uh, mightier than power. Flame-colored are his wings, and colored like flame is his body. His lips are sweet as honey, and his breath like frankincense. Student looked up from the grass and listened. He could not understand what the nightingale was saying to him, for he only knew the things that are written down in books. But the oak tree understood and felt sad, 
for he was very fond of the little nightingale who had built her nest in his branches. Sing me one last song, he whispered. I shall feel lonely when you are gone. So the nightingale sang to the oak tree, and her voice was like water bubbling from a silver jar. When she had finished her song, the student got up, pulled a notebook and a lead pencil out of his pocket. She has form, he said to himself as he walked away through the grove. That cannot be denied to her. But has she got feeling? I'm afraid not. In fact, she's like most artists. She's all style without any sincerity. She would not sacrifice herself for others. She thinks merely of music, and everybody knows that the arts are selfish. Still, it must be admitted that she has some beautiful notes in her voice. What a pity it is that they do not mean anything or do any practical good. And he went into his room and lay down on his little pallet bed and began to think of his love. After a time, he fell asleep, and when the moon shone in the heavens, the nightingale flew to the rose tree and set her breast against the thorn. All night long, she sang with her breast against the thorn, and the cold crystal moon leaned down and listened. All night long, she sang, and the thorn went deeper and deeper into her breast, and her life blood ebbed away from her. She sang first of the birth of love in the heart of a boy and a girl. And on the topmost spray of the rose tree, there blossomed a marvelous rose, petal following petal, as song followed song. Pale was it at first, as the mist that hangs over the river, pale as the feet of the morning, and silver as the wings of the dawn. As the shadow of a rose in a mirror of silver. As the shadow of a rose in a water pool, so was this rose that blossomed on the topmost spray of the tree. The tree cried to the nightingale to press closer against the thorn. Press closer, little nightingale! Cried the tree, or the day will come before the rose is finished. So the nightingale pressed closer against the thorn, and louder and louder grew her song, for she sang of the birth of passion in the soul of a man and a maid. And a delicate flush of pink came into the leaves of the rose, like the flush in the face of the bridegroom, when he kisses the lips of the bride. But the thorn had not yet reached her heart, so the rose's heart remained white, for only a nightingale's heart's blood can crimson the heart of a rose. And the tree cried to the nightingale. And a fierce pang of pain shot through her. Bitter was the pain. Wilder and wilder grew her song, for she sang of the love that is perfected by death, of the love that dies not in the tomb. And the marvelous rose became crimson, like the rose of the eastern sky. Crimson was the girdle of petals, and crimson as a ruby was the heart. But the nightingale's voice grew fainter, and her little wings began to beat, and a film came over her eyes. Fainter and fainter grew her song, and she felt something choking her in her throat. She gave one last burst of music. The white moon heard it, and she forgot the dawn lingered on in the sky. The red rose heard it, trembled all over with ecstasy, opened its petals to the cold morning air. Echo bore it to her purple cavern in the hills, and woke 
the sleeping shepherds from their dreams. It floated through the reeds of the river, and they carried its message to the sea. Look, look, cried the tree, the rose is finished now, but the nightingale made no answer, for she was lying dead in the long grass with a thorn in her heart. At noon, the student opened his window and looked out. Oh, what a wonderful piece of luck, luck, he cried. Here is a red rose. I have never seen any rose like it in all my life. It is so beautiful that I am sure it has a long Latin name, and he leaned down and plucked it. Then he put on his hat and ran up to the professor's house with the rose in his hand. The daughter of the professor was sitting in the doorway, winding blue silk on a reel. Her little dog was lying at her feet. You said, cried the student, you said that you would dance with me if I brought you a red rose. Here is the reddest rose in all the world. You will wear it tonight next to your heart, and as we dance together, it will tell you how I love you. But the girl frowned. I'm afraid it will not go with my dress, she answered, and besides, the Chamberlain's nephew has sent me some real jewels, and everybody knows that jewels cost far more than flowers. Well, upon my word, you are very ungrateful, said the student angrily, and he threw the rose into the street, where it fell into the gutter and a cartwheel went over it. Ungrateful, said the girl. I tell you what, you are very rude. After all, who are you? Only a student. Well, I don't believe you have even got silver buckles to your shoes, as the Chamberlain's nephew has. And she got up from her chair and went into the house. What a silly thing love is, said the student as he walked away. It is not half as useful as logic, for it does not prove anything, and it is always telling one of the things that are not going to happen and making one believe things that are not true. In fact, it is quite unpractical, and as in this age to be practical is everything, I shall go back to philosophy and study metaphysics. So he returned to his room. He pulled out a great dusty book and began to read. That is Oscar Wilde's story, The Nightingale and the Rose. Uh, a weeper, if there ever was one, I tell you. Uh, actually, it's almost as hard to get through as The Happy Prince. <laughs> I won't be on the air this Thursday because apparently we have a special taped show, something especially exciting for Christmas. I hope, I hope, um, I do hope that you have a glorious holiday and that, uh, what is it? Uh, you do not let anything get you down. What is that line? Non illegitimus carborundum. Don't let the bastards get you down. It was my father's favorite expression at Christmas. Yes, when he'd had, when he'd taken a drop too many. <laughs> Actually, I think that this Christmas I will change my modus operandi. This year, just for a change. 
I think I'll take a drink one more time. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air next Tuesday at this time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, well, go as easy as you can. Are the roots so divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light? Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow out of. Being the web guy here at KPFA, I sometimes get the impression that folks think I can see into the future. You know, technology and all. Even though I can't see into the future, I like to think I help to keep KPFA from falling behind the times, technology-wise. What's new? You can download and listen to your favorite shows anytime you want. Podcast. What an odd name, but I digress. Twenty-four-seven access to KPFA and a newsletter that lets you know what's happening on and off the air. See into the future? No, because the future is now, and you can help KPFA now by giving a year-end donation. And it's easy. Go to kpfa.org and make a secure donation. Be a part of KPFA's future by donating now. On behalf of KPFA, I, Michael the Web Guy, says thanks. You're listening to KPFA 94.1 in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, and 88.1 KFCF in Fresno. This is Free Speech Radio News. It's Tuesday, December 23rd, 2000.